Professor Edward Dutton. All right, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Professor Edward Dutton, and he has written many books, but he just published a book on August 19th, 2021. The title of the book is Witches, Feminism, and the Fall of the West. I've read through the book. Very interesting. I uh, definitely have an interest in, in kind of the occult, so a lot of that stuff I was familiar with. But he can talk more about that. But this is not his only book. He also operates a broadcast titled The Jolly Heretic. But some of the titles of his books are Making Sense of Race, published 2020, The Silent Rape Epidemic, How the Finns Were Groomed to Love Their Abusers, 2019, How to Judge People by What They Look Like, 2018, At Our Wits End, Why We're Becoming Less Intelligent and What It Means for the Future, published 2018, J. Philippe Rushton, A Life History Perspective, 2018 as well, and The Genius Famine, Why We Need Geniuses, Why They're Dying Out, Why We Must Rescue Them, 2016. So, Professor Edward Dutton, are you there? Hello, how do you do? Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard your background, can you talk about kind of the arc of your research and then what led you to write Witches, Feminism, and the Fall of the West? Well, I started off in uh, theology, and from there I got into religious studies, and from there I got into our understanding the Finns because I moved to Finland, and from there I got into genetic explanations and things like that. And that's when it really, that's when my current research um, area about nine years ago uh, really took off. And I started to become interested in issues like intelligence and issues like uh, group differences in intelligence and sex differences in intelligence and stuff like that. And then from there, it really, you, you come to realize that it becomes more conscious that there is this woke new religion, this, this new Gnosticism that has taken over, which covers up the truth. And so if you're really interested in the truth, then you should be attracted to areas which they say you shouldn't touch, and which are verboten. So I wasn't interested, for example, in transsexuality particularly, until they declared that any kind of reasonable, logical discussion of its causes was verboten, and you just had to accept that they were woman, male soul, female souls in male bodies or whatever. And so similarly then with witchcraft, uh, when I was confronted with this idea that, uh, well, all witch, witchcraft is just nonsense, all of these women were just poor, innocent women that were bullied and picked on by the community, and that's why they were executed for witchcraft, and that's it, and it was just collective madness for no reason. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder if that's true. And when I heard that uh, these women would go and confess that they had been raped by the devil, that the devil had appeared to them in the form of a black man and had sex with them for seven consecutive nights or, uh, from behind or whatever. Um, and I, this, oh, this is all a matter of torture and delusion. I thought, well, is that true? And the more I looked into it, the more I realized, no, it's not true. Um, and that there was perfectly sound evolutionary reasons for what was happening in terms of witchcraft and that the kind of people that were being um, executed for witchcraft uh, have their parallel today in the modern day feminists. The modern day feminist movement is essentially doing the same thing. Um, and, and that is where the book uh, sort of came from. Right. And so can you kind of describe, you really start at the understanding of witches in the Western world, talk a lot about the phenomenon that happened in England at the time. Can you give the listeners who may not familiar be familiar with the European background of witchcraft 
the foundation upon which you build the rest of your book? So in essence, it goes back to selection. How do you pass on your genes? You pass on your genes individually. You pass on your genes in terms of a kin selection, looking after your family, that sort of thing. And you also pass on your genes in terms of group selection, in terms of you being part of an ethnic group. And it's been shown that within Europe, uh, that an average, uh, two average Englishmen are more genetically similar to each other than an average Englishman and an average Frenchman. So sometimes it's in your interest to lay down your life for the good of your group. Computer models have shown that under harsh Darwinian conditions, the groups that are more likely to pass on their genes, that are likely to dominate in the battle of group selection, are the groups that are high in positive ethnocentrism, that is to say internal cooperation, and negative ethnocentrism, that is to say brutally destroying the outsider. So in order to predominate, you have to be high in positive ethnocentrism, and everyone being internally cooperative. How can you achieve that? Well, it's, it's clear that one of the ways that, that was achieved historically was through patriarchy. So if males have to invest in females, then they want to know that they're not being cuckolded. If they can't be sure they're not being cuckolded, then you'll have fights between males, you'll have intermale conflict, you'll have low positive ethnocentrism, you'll have poor group selection prospects, you will be destroyed as a group by another more cooperative group. If you bring in patriarchy and you control female sexuality, then the males can be more sure they won't be cuckolded, therefore there won't be conflict between these males, therefore the males will be more internally cooperative, higher positive and negative ethnocentrism, higher group selection. So what happens is that the religion tends to take that which is adaptive and it makes it into the will of God or the gods, such that it's more likely to be followed. And one example of this is patriarchy. Patriarchy is then made into the will of the gods. The women want investment. They, have a, they sexually select for status, because if they have a high-status male who looks after them and looks after the offspring, they, their genes are more likely to be passed on. So they demand investment and status. In return, um, the men, I'm, I'm very happy to see that someone has been stoked for this. Um, 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 in, in, in return for this, the men will, of course, want evidence of fidelity. And so therefore, you end up with this patriarchy, and the group that is more patriarchal will be the group that is more dominant in group selection, will be the group that triumphs over other groups. And it's been shown by J.D. Unwin that as groups become more developed, more complicated, they also become more patriarchal, they also become more sexually repressed. And you see this at its apex in Victorian England, this highly patriarchal society, uh, which is highly sexually repressed. Now, what these witches were doing was undermining this. And therefore, they were undermining the, relig the religion, and therefore, they were undermining the group, the group cohesiveness, and therefore, they were leading to the destruction of their society. How were they undermining it? Well, if we look at the kind of women that were accused of witchcraft, First of all, they um, tended to be, they had their own sort of ersatz religion, basically. And these people, I mean, we've got evidence for this. They believed themselves to be witches. Right. There was a case in about 1612 in Halifax of a woman that put a curse on another man, and then he uh, had a stroke or something. And she believed she had magic powers. He believed she had magic powers, so it was like the nocebo effect. Uh, uh, and uh, she committed it, and she was hanged. It, um, and, and this was in Pendle in uh, Yorkshire, Lancashire border. And so, they, first of all, they had their own alternative religion, essentially, so which was a rival to the religion of right. 
Christianity, yeah. dominant Christian, whether it was Catholic or Protestant. So they had their own rival to patriarchy. This is undermining unity, undermining cohesion, undermining group selection. Um, secondly, uh, they, were, they often managed to operate as independent women. So they tended to be, uh, over, uh, like at least half of them, tended to be spinsters or widows that wouldn't remarry. So what they were showing society is you can you can ignore the patriarchy, you can get away without being patriarchal, you screw the patriarchy, right. but it's the patriarchy that is upholding the system of group selection. And so they were undermining it in that way. Also, those accused would be, as well as spinsters and widows, would be prostitutes um, and uh, women who had had illegitimate children because such women were, of course, failing to abide by the uh, rules of, of female sexual control of the society. So that's the next way in which they were a problem. The third thing, remember, the important thing in group selection is positive ethnocentrism. They were just extremely antisocial people. And there's a great deal of evidence that these women, they were nasty, unpleasant old women that would go around cursing people and shouting at people and saying... Right. Low oh, status that's women, low status too, right? That's another point. And they were also low status. Um, so... Um, um, and, and, you know, I hope you die. I hope your child dies. I curse you, you know. And then when something like that would happen, then they would be accused of witchcraft. Um, another point, as you say, um, is that they were people of low status. Um, often they were, they were um, economic burdens of the community. And so it would make sense, particularly in the time of want, in the time of famine, um, that you would focus on people that were burdens of the community. Um, in Finland and in Corinthia, it was beggars that would often be accused of witchcraft because there was a kind of refusal guilt. But you're getting rid of it's kind of eugenic, essentially. You're getting rid of using a, a sanctified in a religious way uh, those who are uh, burdens of the community. Right. Um, Never suffer a witch to live. Right. It goes all the way indeed, back to the indeed. Old Testament. And also, and this is no, this is noted. Um, they were extremely ugly, physically unattractive women. And I'm afraid that the and the evidence is that the the uh, mind is 84 percent of the genome. So if you've got mutations that are reflected in the body, you will sure as damn it have mutations in the mind. Physical ugliness is an expression. They understood this physiognomy. Uh, as I looked at in my book, How to Judge People by What They Look Like, physical ugliness is an expression often of mental problems and people that are individualistic, uh, who are left wing. Uh, in the modern day are objectively less good looking on average than people. Right. But you also, I think you make the point in your book that they willfully take themselves out of what would be evolutionary dynamics by not maintaining themselves, not cutting their nails, not shaving or, you know, whatever. They, yes. They, they, expre they're expressing their character. They're expressing the fact that they just couldn't care less. They're just, they're just antisocial elements and antisocial elements is bad for group selection. Now, it's interesting that across time, the fervor with which these people are dealt with increases. So what you have in medieval England from about the year, I don't know, 800 onwards is a warm period. Uh, it's so warm that they can grow grapes in northern England. It's much warmer than it is now. And so this, of course, means that there's lots and lots of land, there's a small population, everyone's got enough food, everyone's perfectly content, and so the group selection pressure is weaker. At that point, although witchcraft is socially unacceptable and there's occasional flare-ups, um, basically it's tolerated, and it's, it's not even illegal, and it certainly doesn't carry the death penalty. 
And it's not until it gets colder that they start persecuting the uh, basically they start becoming more group selective and this involves persecuting antisocial elements so they start persecuting uh witches and uh beggars and whatever it involves becoming more ethnocentric persecuting jews persecuting muslims uh, and it involves becoming more literally more religious because what religiousness tends to do is it gets is it is it's associated with positive and negative ethnocentrism religious people are high in group orientation so therefore religiousness starts to become selected for and ethnocentrism essentially becomes the will of god so these the people the nature of the people changes as it gets colder as there's more group selection pressure and that means there's more pressure to be positively negative-centric and that means you cut out the cancer uh, of anti-social, anti-patriarchal um, so, uh, um, sort of people. And that's when you start to get these witch crazes. And the witch crazes reach their high point right at the coldest period in European history, right around the Monde Minimum, where there's not enough food and group selection pressure is extremely high. And that's when you get in England, then it really goes off on one and you get these witchcraft uh, persecutions and also in america and in america of course they were more religious than the english so i think that's relevant as well um, and they were at a period of particular difficulty so what you're dealing with is basically um the, the, every generation society produces people that have mutations every generation the the, the child mortality rate is 50 percent, and every generation therefore those people are purged from the population what is being selected for is group-oriented, patriarchal, pro-social sort of people. That's what's being who, who have low mutational load and who are therefore physically attractive and who are therefore mentally attractive. Right. And That's isn't that dynamic of getting rid of the mutation or the outsider, the it solidifies the, the patriarchy. So it's a kind of process of... <clears throat> Uh, getting rid of the chap, at least, and solidifying the social structure. Would you agree exactly. with that? Exactly, solidifying the social structure, um, getting rid of all of these these difficult elements, these anti-patriarchal women, they are selected out. They are they are not wanted. They are what you would call um, fast life history strategists. And right. we are- You use that axiom, sorry, use that axiom throughout the book. I do. Right. Uh, slow, we are selecting for slow life history strategies. So a fast life history strategies is evolved to an easy yet unstable ecology where, where basic needs are met, but you, you, got, you, you could be wiped out at any minute by unpredictable things like under tigers or whatever, wild animals. So you live fast and you die young. And this means that you are psychopathic, you are selfish, you are not pro-social, and you're just out for yourself. You're an individualist. As a society becomes uh, closer to its carrying capacity, um, then if you just invest all your energy in yourself and in sex and stuff, you'll just die. So you start investing energy away from that and investing energy into nurturing your children so that at least some of them survive the harsh ecology. Uh, this means you're more pro-social. You develop a more complex pro-social, uh, more complex group where you cooperate with others. And these are the people that are more likely to survive. These are the slow life history strategies. That's what's being selected for. And patriarchy is part of that. It helps to promote a slow life history strategy where there are rules based around sex and sexuality, where people can trust other people not to cuckold them, um, and where you, you, you all invest in each other uh, and, and cooperate. And so therefore, women are strongly selected to be patriarchal, and they're often the main forces of it, and men are strongly selected to it as well. Those that deviate from it, fastening strategists, seem to be these witches. Evidence for that, in then I looked at in the book, is that these witches seem to have rape fantasies. Now, what a, 
what they say, oh, I had this, the, the devil, the incubus devil came to me in the night and, uh, and you know, had sex with me and in the form of a dog or whatever. But what these, these were confessed to freely. There was no torture in English law for witchcraft. There was no inducement. Um, the, the standards of evidence were very high because a lot of the authorities were quite skeptical of the reality of witchcraft. Right. And, and there's a lot of recordings all through the UK of all these witch trials and James yeah. I. And these weren't like the, the ones on the continent. On the continent and in Scotland, there was torture. Uh, there, there was a pressure exerted. Uh, there were weak standards of evidence. There was corrupt legal systems and whatever. This wasn't what was going on in England. And even so, these women came out with this stuff. Now, what this is consistent with is rape fantasies. Now, how do rape fantasies work? Well, if you're a fast life history strategist woman, then you are evolved to an environment where the man is not going to look after you, he's not going to invest in you. It's a fast life history strategy environment. Live fast, die young. You need to have sex, sex with as many women as you possibly can, invest nothing in them, and hope that your genes will be maybe passed on. There's no patriarchy that develops there. There's no point investing in the offspring because the, 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 you could be wiped out at any second and the investment won't pay off. So what's the point? Certainly no point investing in the mother. So because the mother's going to be uh, loose and is going to have sex with lots of people, you can never be sure it's your offspring. So there's no patriarchy in an environment like that. In an environment like that, females tend to become more masculinized. They have large secondary sexual characteristics because they have to advertise their good genetic quality. But in terms of their psychology, they and often certain physical traits, they tend to be more masculinized because they have to take on masculine roles and look after the children, fight for them and whatever, because the men are just going to pump and dump. Therefore, from their perspective, the ideal man is not a man of high socioeconomic status who can look after them. It's a man who has just good genes, if he, he had good genes that will allow him to survive in an ecology like that. A man that's basically big and strong and psychopathic, because that's all get along in the jungle of an R strategy ecology. Now, the only way she can be certain that he is that man, that he is that alpha man, is basically if, she, if he overpowers her, if he essentially rapes her. I mean, not rapes her, but you know, rapes her right up to the last minute and, and then overpowers her. And that's how she can be sure that he is this high status male, that that's what he's like. So therefore, you can see, ironically, how women that are fast life history strategists would have rape fantasies. Um, it's not quite rape, but it kind of is. It's a bit like if you think about how an egg is, is fertilized, the woman's immune system throws everything at it. The, the vaginal mucus and everything to literally kill it, to kill all the sperm. And only the strongest sperm that doesn't get killed by all this avalanche of violence um, gets through. That's what sex is like for an arse Right, but you're making that correlation between the rape fantasies of the witch and the devil, then this kind of modern feminist have a lot of rape uh, themes going on and... Kind of a uh, fast life uh, environment. That's right. Sure. So, right. so what we what I found is that there is a what fascinated me in looking into this is that so there is a correlation between sociosexuality and rape fantasies. That makes sense. Fine, but there's also a correlation between feminist identification and rape fantasy. Now, what? Why would there be a correlation between feminist identification and rape fantasy? Well, it's, it's obvious why. What is, what is the feminist doing? What is the feminist arguing? She's doing everything the witch did. She is undermining the patriarchy, clearly. 
She, she is non overtly, at least, non-patriarchal. She is physically masculinized. Feminists tend to have more masculinized hands, more masculinized faces, whatever. She is adapted to a fast life history strategy ecology. Consists she is antisocial. She is individualistic and advocates individualistic ideas to the damage of the good of the, the group and, and whatever. She's against religion. She's against all of these traditional things that are associated with patriarchy. No doubt. And okay. undermines those things. Um, and she 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 has these um, these rape fantasies. Ultimately, she's antisocial. And but also, they take on the same thing that the witches did, where they change their uh, outward appearance or neglect it or change oh, well, it to course, fight against the males. They emphasize with their outward appearance that they they they, they are non-conformists. Right. They are individualists. They are selfish. They don't care about disgusting other people. They're, they're antisocial people. So you can see how the witches of old are operating functionally in exactly the same way as the feminists. The feminists are precisely the same. They are the witches of now that attack the patriarchy, um, that are physically ugly, um, that are mentally unstable, that are antisocial, that are fast life history strategists, um, uh, have rape fantasies and whatever. They're, they're the same. The only difference, the only key difference is that the witches tended to be at the bottom of society uh, and for various reasons the feminists are at the top of society because what you had in days, in the old days was a society that was under harsh Darwinian selection pressure um, in which the uh, mutant, every generation uh, um, socioeconomic status predicted having children. And so the higher social status you were, the more surviving children you had, and the healthier you would be, basically. Um, and therefore, the mutant G, every generation, those at the bottom would be selected out. Every generation, they die out. So therefore, mutation, as it were, was to be found, deviation from the group norm was to be found at the bottom of society, every generation, and every generation, those people would be, those individualists, essentially, uh, among the females of whom would be witches, would be selected out. Right. Now, this collapses with the Industrial Revolution. We go from 50% child mortality to 1% child mortality, and gradually, over about 100 years, the system reverses, um, and now... Uh, we, the whole system, the music right. So then it's the long life mortality, and feminism comes around in that environment much different than short life. Life is brutal, rough, short, whatever Locke said. I forgot. They, 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 they are modern manifestations of this of this high mutational load, and we can call them spiteful mutants. They, um, we, we are a highly pro-social group. And we are evolved to be around other people that push us along the optimum adaptive roadmap of life. Uh, witches did not do that unconsciously. People did the opposite of that. In fact, they were, as it were, spiteful mutants, but they were at the bottom of society. Um, and therefore, um, they were purged. Now, what's happened in our case is that society um, has flipped over from being group-oriented, probably this happened in the, 60, the 50s or 60s, from being highly group-oriented because there's so many people that are individualistically oriented, that are, that are these mutants, basically, um, that they, they, they make up, eventually they make up about 20% of the population, something like that. And then you get a tipping point where, people, where the society, once that happens, will tip over to the up-and-coming regime where it sees the future as being, because people want power and whatever. And so at that point, you have the, you have the society 
tipping over um, towards being individualistic. And you then get this, um, this runaway individualism, this runaway anti-traditionalism, this runaway uh, feminism, this runaway whatever, this runaway constant competing to be more individualistic than, than the last man. And this is going to be spearheaded because who's going to be the most prominent in, in influencing society but is by people at the top of society who are going to play for power. And this is going to be these spiteful, mutant, ugly feminists like Andrea Dworkin. Um, and, and Andrea Dworkin's whole conception of sex was that sex is rape. As far right. as she's concerned, and that makes sense. As a fast-life history strategist, uh, th that's exactly what sex is. Sex is rape. It's nothing else, because th that's the nature of being a fast-life history strategist. And she obviously had these rape fantasies, as is evidenced towards the end of her life. She had what can only have been a fantasy, where she, as this hideously ugly 57-year-old woman, uh, believed that she'd somehow been drugged by a good-looking young waiter and woken up in Amsterdam, rape. right? Yeah, like she in Paris, in, in Paris. Yeah, she just woke up and knew she was raped. That's that's correct. And even her closest friends and whatever thought she'd gone mad and didn't believe her. And I suspect that what happened is that, like the witches of yore, with their oh, a black man, the devil appeared to me as a black man, or whatever. Um, she just had a rape fantasy, a very intense rape fantasy. Uh, and these witches would have had very intense rape fantasies. And they but it's almost like the race hoaxes of today where the rape fantasy that she had in her mind come true was like something that confirmed all of her earlier. Pre I mean, she was an intelligent person. And you're right. She looked very like a witch. Like she just gave away all of her kind of feminine qualities. But I think that she. This is something that confirmed all of her earlier writings. Would you agree? Well, they, with that? they tended. They tended. I mean, not just her. There's uh, Kate um, Millet. Uh, Millet. Yeah. Um, she was also noticeably ugly. Um, m m most of these feminists um, tend to be. Uh, one of the things that you get with females is that they can't. They can't. They don't. They're not because being physically weak and often being neurotic, uh, mentally unstable, and having low self-esteem. They don't compete in an overt way, you know, by being aggressive and whatever. And so they will, they will tend to compete covertly. How do you compete covertly? You try and bring everyone down to your level. You promote equality. And that's what they do. They undermine the female competition to be beautiful and say, oh, it's bad to be beautiful. Or you, you promote harm avoidance. You undermine the, everything by saying, oh, well, it's offensive to people. So therefore, we should all, we should all kind of be the same. So that's one of the, one of the strategies that, they, that all of these women seem to operate. To one the of detriment of Dworkin's own health, too, right? Because she neglected to stay fit. And it had deleterious effects upon her yeah, life. She died. She died. I think a half attack, age fifty-seven. So she was very, very young, particularly young for a woman. Um, but this rape fantasy stuff goes on right the way back. If you read her autobiography, she she talks about being uh, uh, sexually abused by a school teacher when she was about. She talks about being raped in a cinema when she was nine. Kate Millett was uh, put in a. She wrote a book about it called The Looney Bin Trip, where she tried to argue she wasn't mad. And she attempted to argue she wasn't mad by talking about having a sexual fantasy about having sex with a horse who was also her father. Oh, wow. I mean, she was completely, in, she was insane. And she, uh, but she wasn't, they were evidently, these women were these spiteful mutants that wouldn't have survived under harsh Darwinian selection pressures as evidenced by their physical poor health, uh, by their ugliness 
and, and so on, um, with these spiteful, individualistic, group-damaging ideas. But in a situation where there's enough of these people in the society, the society then tips over towards individualism, and then these kinds of people will spearhead, will spearhead, will lead, will be the vanguard of the movement to make the society as um, individualistic and damaged as, as, as possible. So they were doing exactly what the witches were doing, but the witches were doing this in a society that was extremely group-oriented. So people really strongly group-oriented. So people weren't prepared to listen to them, people were repelled by them, people were evolved to be repelled by them. The only people that existed at that time, with a few exceptions, were people who by modern standards would be extraordinarily religious people, people that were basically a bit like the Amish today, you know, that, that but more violent. Um, that's, that's who everybody was in Europe and America at, at, at that time. What we have now is this huge expansion in the gene pool of people who wouldn't have survived under harsh selection pressures. And those people are less resistant to these, uh, these maladaptive ideas. And it is, that it is therefore more possible for these spiteful mutants to have influence on the society, to, to build up followings. It's, it's like witches taking over. It's like in, in the 17th century, as if witches have been able to build up and indoctrinate huge numbers of men. Huge numbers. I was oh, at Berkeley. Okay. When I was at Berkeley, I talked to a fourth wave feminist and told me with a straight face, men were going to be, you know, just in like a matrix like thing and their sperm will be taken out. And she had been around women like Dworkin. And it was sad, too, because she could have had a completely different life life right. change. She was actually very attractive woman. Well, that's, but that's, that's a good point that you make about attractive. So, it, okay, in, in general, it's going to be spiteful mutants that, that are going to spearhead this and lead this. But it is the problem is that um, once you get into this individualistic type society that we're in, we're in an evolutionary mismatch. And it, we're particularly in an evolutionary mismatch for women. So all of us, um, as K-strategy organisms rely on being in a society where we are around other uh, uh, other genetically healthy people. And if we are not, it can damage us. There's evidence, I mean, depression is strongly genetic, but there's evidence that it's also partly environmental. If you're around someone that's depressed, it can make you depressed. No and that was one of the reasons why they were purging these witches. These witches were basically spreading negative social epistasis. They were spreading depression and bad feeling and whatever. So um, in much the same way, we're very sensitive to this, but women are going to be even more sensitive to this because uh, women are more K-strategy than men. So they rely more than, more than men do on the environment. They're more environmentally sensitive. One. Two, they are much more conformist than men. They are higher in social anxiety, and this makes you high in extrinsic religiousness. Now, what this means is that if you live in a highly patriarchal society, the women will fall over themselves to compete to be very, very patriarchal. And hence you get in the old days, you know, the church lady, the extremely religious woman. Once it flips over and the new way of doing things becomes basically witchcraft, whatever you want to call it, feminism, wokeism, the women will, being socially anxious, will fall over themselves to compete to do that. Right. So they're so competing to be more woke than the next person. Right. And it was so interesting actually, in this example of this feminist girl that I knew, she was atomized. Her mom had moved away. She was by herself. So she was very vulnerable, not in a kind of uh, family structure like you would see. She was definitely from a nuclear type family. So I think yeah. she was much more susceptible 
to what would you would call mutant ideas, I guess. You get you make a very good point, Andrew. Sorry, uh, William. Um, it's um, it's it's indeed the case that then if you if you um, if you follow that up, women are also adapted to patriarchy more than men. Because it's the, if, the, if the women would have to have signaled that they were conducive to patriarchy and how are you best going to do that? Well, it's if you really think it. So the women are highly selected to patriarchy. And what does patriarchy mean? It means that other people make decisions for you. It means that your father makes decisions for you or your brother makes decisions for you. You don't look after yourself. You don't know how to do that. You're not adapted to do that. And so if you take these, the men it will be less of a problem. But if you put the women in an environment where they're suddenly looking after themselves, they're not being told what to do by their parents, that will be even worse for them than with the boys because they will, in a sense, be um, in more of an evolutionary mismatch and therefore they'll do more damaging things, uh, such as heavily delaying their fertility until it's too late. Uh, or, 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 you know, I mean, there was a case in Britain that I mentioned in the book, I think I mentioned it in the book, of a girl called Sarah Everard, and uh, she was, uh, I, I'm, I can't remember whether she in the book or in my, my latest book. And she was wandering around at about nine o'clock at night in the dark on, um, on the Clapham Common. And she was, someone grabbed her and took her away and killed her. Oh, right. Yeah, I know that story. And now, even 20 years ago, women of that age would not wander around alone in the dark. I remember going on a school trip in the sixth form, which is like your equivalent of age 17, 18, high school. And we got back and the, a lot of the people there were girls. And, and someone said to this other girl, how are you getting home? Oh, I'm just going to walk. What, do you want to get raped? Uh, you know, like, you know, don't be stupid, don't walk alone at night in London. But that's what she did right. because she had been inculcated maladaptively. She had been led along this, this uh, maladaptive roadmap of life where she's told, oh, men and women are equal. And done right. And the That's the exact word that came to my mind, that everybody's equal. Yeah, no, sorry. So the point of the book, then, is to, just to demonstrate in detail that witches, this idea that it's all fantasy, this witchcraft, it's all stuff that happened in the past, people in Salem going bonkers or whatever. That's not true. This was, A, this was very real. There was this nocebo effect. If people believed it, they would be harmed by it. B, the witches believed it. He's just naming it, Can. What are these comments? Um, 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 the, the, the witches themselves believed they had magic powers. It was undermining the patriarchy. It was undermining group selection and, and so on. And feminism is doing exactly the same thing. The feminists are, psychologically speaking, the descendants of uh, these witches. It's just that the difference is, as I say, that they are spiteful mutants at, at the top of society in a context of weakened, weakened selection pressure where there's more mutation, including at the top of society. Um, <laughs> people at the bottom of society, um, you don't get them being feminists because they're not, they're, they're, there's no, it, it doesn't matter, they're not influential enough, but nobody cares anymore, uh, nobody's group selected enough to care. So they're not, influ they're not influential enough. It's, the, it's got to a point where the lack of group selection pressure means that these kinds of women, if they're intelligent, are able to get to the top of society and are able to influence the society in a maladaptive direction. That's the difference between now and the 1600. And some of that maladaptation, like a lot of women who, who choose the kind of feminist career angle at 35, they're very uh, dejected. I've heard many stories of women who said, I waited too late. Why didn't I start a family? What was I thinking? Who told me that this was my route, that this is a way to, for fulfillment or happiness? So there's a lot of other elements there. You talk about the fall of the West right there in your title. What do you per perceive 
will be happening in the future. Well, yes, that, that that in itself does the feminism does itself bring about the fall of the West. Not just not not only does it undermine it undermines group selection. One, it puts women um, in positions of power, and then those women will tend to put uh, women, female kind of thing, things like empathy and stuff like that, everyone getting along over the pursuit of truth. So it undermines genius and, and th thing, that sort of thing and the ability to come up with brilliant new ideas by taking away the safe spaces of genius and turning universities into a safe space for emotions. Um, thirdly, it undermines group selection by, by making it, because they're so attracted women to empathy and so on, um, it undermines the ability to discuss rationally things like immigration, that sort of thing, because of female uh, influence. And so this helps to then... Um, disunite the society, research by Putnam, uh, Robert Putnam, has shown that the, the more ethnically diverse a, a society is, that social trust collapses even among the natives and people stop cooperating. So group selection basically collapses and feminism is helping that. Um, and then, and then, um, and then, in terms of what it's doing to intelligence, this is also very important. Feminism means that the more intelligent women will dedicate all of their twenties, and as you say, even the first half of their thirties, to their careers, while less intelligent women, who will therefore be less easily um, indoctrinated with with uh, the current uh, worldview, um, will get pregnant when they're sixteen and have lots of children by very unsuitable. You men. see that here in California, it's much like that. All the kind of Europeans are women are in their careers and the Hispanic kind of immigrants, they're having starting having kids very young. So very they're not they're totally immune to feminism. And it's not just that they have more kids, they have more generations. Because no doubt. People, oh, there's great grandfathers and stuff, great grandmothers in some of these Latino communities. It almost doesn't doesn't exist among whites or Europeans. Grandmothers at 38, by the time their more intelligent compatriots are becoming mothers for the first time. And not only that, but the most intelligent women tend not to have children at all. Uh, and, and I was researching this paper today. We've got new data on this. Intelligence predicts not having and literally not wanting children, not wanting children. And, fem and feminism is promoting this. Um, this yeah, antinatalism. Antinatalism. Anti yes. Um, among uh, the more intelligent women, because intelligence predicts being socially conformist, not perhaps the extremes, but in general, intelligence predicts being socially conformist. You look around the world, you, you, you perceive what the dominant set of values is, you understand the social benefits to uh, adopting those values, you force yourself through effortful control to adopt those values, and then you compete with others for status by ever so slightly being more high in those values than the last man. And that's what's, that's why we, this runaway individualism, the why it's led to feminism and then new wave feminism and then this new sort of transsexual feminism and, uh, and, and so on. Um, uh, the, the transsexual feminism, the TERFs as then, the, the, the anti-transsexual feminism, that's quite interesting because it's this notion that, remember, that the, the feminist is an extreme individualist and fast individual strategist repelled by men. And so you can see that women that are going to be like moderate feminists, they won't mind men mutilating themselves and dressing up as women. They won't mind that necessarily. They can cope with that because they sort of don't mind men, really. They just conform to feminism because they're indoctrinated and whatever. But the real hardcore feminists, 
who are going to hate men, who are going to really dislike men and see them as dangerous, like Andrew Dworkin. You could see someone like that being repelled by this this phenomenon because their attitude would be that well, these people are just men that are making themselves women in order to, you know, get near us. And oh my right. god, no. right. So you can you can see why there is this interesting conflict as feminism has become mainstream, as feminism has become a system whereby every left wing woman claims she's a feminist. Then right. the true feminists uh, have, if you like, been been sort of isolated within feminism by the by by, by the fact that, that it's been taken over by the the Machiavellians and the the, the the conformists and the people that just want status. Whereas the true sort of spiteful mutant extreme uh, fast anti strategy feminists that don't want status necessarily, but just are like this. And it happens that they find themselves in a situation where uh, because there's enough uh, maladaptation and uh, because social structures have broken down sufficiently, they're listened to and they get a following in days of yore they were they were hanged as witches or whatever but now they now they or they were they were shunned but now they get a following these people are suddenly being excluded because they don't like transsexuals because the runaway individualism has gone so far right professor do you mind taking a few questions before we wrap yeah, it up means, means. um so here's barbara g she's kind of saying does the author think women are responsible for the fall of the west well, no, they're not. They're not responsible in the sense that they've consciously brought it about. No, but they. I think that it is. Um, it is uh, the rise of feminism is both a reflection of the fall of the West uh, and something that contributes to it. So you see this. It's not as I look at it in the book. This is not the first time this has happened. When society, societies go through seasons, uh, in the spring they are youthful and they are religious and whatever. Uh, in the summer, they start making discoveries and therefore they're full of sort of youthful fervor. In the autumn, they bring in the harvest and they start to make incredible uh, you know, breakthroughs and whatever, you know, industrial revolution or, or, or in, uh, near industrial revolution. And then they become decadent. They, they start to stop because of the, they, they, they create an easy environment uh, where it's, there's less stress, there's less mortality salience, there's less war. And um, stress means that people become less, less religious, basically. And they therefore they stop believing in the religion. They stop believing, which tells them that they're the best people in the world and tells them patriarchy is God's will and things like this. Um, and also the selection pressure becomes weaker. So you get more individualistic type people. And so they're less patriarchal and they're less religious and, uh, and, 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 and so on. And so they start to change and they become decadent. And then you get immigration, always. You've got this with Rome, you've got this with Baghdad, you've got this with Greece. Uh, you get uh, homosexuality becoming more acceptable and, and things like that. Uh, and you get feminism. And this was comments, uh, you, oh, you get people not wanting children because they're so materialistic or they just don't want right. kids for some reason because they feel depressed and a sense of dysphoria and that life has no meaning. Um, you get people adopting antinatalist ideologies like Gnosticism. That was exactly like that. Antinatalist, the world is evil, it's the devil's province, don't have kids. I'm so virtuous that I just want to focus on my gnosis and not have kids. You've got exactly that with Rome. And you've got the rise of feminism. You've got the rise of women in positions of power. Um, uh, and refusing to get married, refusing to have children, all this sort of thing. Um, stop wearing the veil in ancient Greece. In ancient Baghdad, you've got women imams, women lawyers at this stage. It was commented on. So it's a reflection of a general process. But it also contributes to that process because women, if they get in positions of power, they think differently from men. They're less autistic, basically. They're higher in empathy. And this means that it is less easy to sustain genius. 
and um, and spaces for genius because the university changes from being a place that's just about logic and reason to being a place about everyone getting on and not falling out and uh, promoting equality and promoting harm avoidance and promoting these female values rather than male values of autism and knowing the truth. So this can be seen to undermine group selection, undermine the ability to make harsh decisions. And then once gotcha. the society which needs to be made to survive in the harsh battle of Darwinian selection, of group selection. Um, and then once that the society tips over to being highly individually oriented, then the women, just as they are the, um, the uh, spearheaders of Protestantism, of Nazism, of communism, whatever, they always are the people at the spearhead of this because of their social anxiety. Um, they are the spearhead then of wokeism and, and they make it even worse. So I think they both contribute to it uh, and cause it. I, I, I reflected. And Orfeo Treshula says his critique is critique is brave and correct, but what is the solution? Do you have any ideas for a solution? No, I, I, I don't think it's. I'm I'm a, a researcher. I do the research. It's up to other people. To, what is that noise? That plane. Um, it's my concern. It's an airplane. Yes, there wouldn't be airplanes if uh, the world was run by women, because women would be harm avoidant. Uh, and they would be equality oriented and they would bring down the show off that that uh, that came up with the idea of the airplane. They would whisper about her and bitch about her and make her feel bad. And there would never have been an airplane and there would never have been the autistic focus necessary to come up with an airplane. That's exactly what I mean. So but anyway, so we wouldn't have had that noise, admittedly. Um, but I, no, I, I don't think there is a solution, really. I think that societies go through cycles like this, always. Um, animals go through, species go through cycles where they hover around an equilibrium. They are a small population. The population starts to grow in an easy ecology. It becomes too big. The, the ecology becomes less easy or there become too many of them. They start fighting with themselves for a small amount of resources. The population collapses back. And and it and it, but it always hovers around this equilibrium, and that's true of rabbits, and it's true of whatever population of animals you can think of. And we are just a highly advanced ape, so why wouldn't it be true of us? So we will always go through this Malthusian cycle where there's a small population, where the population increases, and in our case, because we're so intelligent, we come up with brilliant ideas which create an even easier environment, like artificially create a warm environment gotcha. the population can create even rise even more that's what the romans and the greeks did. we managed to do it to a much greater extent so the population is enormous uh, but that means the population is extremely genetically sick the population is uh, increasingly stupid the population uh, those two things genetically correlate by the way um the population is unhealthy and eventually as and we know that at a certain point in history, more intelligent people, perhaps because they're more environmentally sensitive to dysphoria, stop wanting children, as happened about 100 years ago. And then the population will start to live off the capital that it's accrued. Um, its level of development will slow down and eventually it will go backwards and, and then it will start to collapse. And the bigger and sicker the population is, then, of course, the bigger that collapse is going to be. And so I'm thinking that we could, we could have a collapse of 90%. The collapse of classical civilization, by the way, was 60%. They, yeah. they, they came in the Justinian plague. They did in 539, I think it was. Um, and that the, the population collapsed by 60%. Uh, all it would be, all it would need is something slightly more complicated than corona that we could do nothing about. 
and it would just be collapsed. It would be collapsed. Gotcha. Uh, Professor Dutton, where's the best place for people to obtain your book, which is Feminism and the Fall of the West? Uh, well, you can either get it from the publisher, Washington Summit, um, or you can get it from Amazon or Waterstones or Barnes & Noble or whatever, any of those kinds of places. And do you have a website or what social I, media? I do. So you can, my website is edwardduffin.com, where there's a list of my articles, academic articles, and my books, and my book reviews, and uh, things like that. And then you can uh, follow my, me on uh, Twitter, uh, at Jolly Heretic, and you can follow me on the YouTube, uh, The Jolly Heretic. Uh, I live stream on Mondays and Thursdays at uh, 7 p.m. UK time, which is 2 p.m. In, in New York. And you can also find me on BitChute and Odyssey. BitChute and Odyssey. And again, it's Professor Edward Dutton. Title of the book is Witches, Feminism, and the Fall of the West, just published August 19th, 2021. Thanks so much. Sorry for bungling that other intro, too. I, that was totally my fault. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to end the broadcast. Hold on just a second.